you're still doing the same thing. You're just doing it for a different cause. My job is the same. I'm still doing marketing. I'm still having to think about the audiences we're going to, how we are influencing people. It's just that the end goal isn't money. It is, in this case, like driving systemic change. Hello and welcome back to Attention Seekers, the podcast from Performance Marketing World where we get to know who's seeking attention in the industry and how they're doing it. Today I am joined by Helen Saul, Head of Marketing at Shelter, a UK housing charity where she led the team responsible for the bold Cost of Living Hacks campaign which demanded greater change from the government with the charity's message at the centre. The campaign was a huge success and gained over 100,000 likes on shares on social, with over 7 million views and 23 million impressions. Helen's been responsible for award-winning global campaigns throughout her career with stints at lastminute.com and comparethemarket.com and was nominated by The Drum as one of the world's top 50 most exciting brand marketers. I'm Lucy Shelley, multimedia editor at PMW and your host for Attention Seekers. Well, hi, Helen. Thanks for being our attention seeker this week. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Not at all. I've been excited to get and chat to you because it's clear that you are driven by marketing to do good and, you know, working for organisations that do and, uh, you know, kind of want brands to be accountable, I guess. So have you always been fueled by marketing for causes like shelter or is it something that you discovered after you began your career yeah I would say I think it's something that I've discovered along the way Mm -hmm. I you know for a long time I was working in like profit-led organizations in places that I really enjoyed and then I think around about the time of the pandemic I set up my own podcast and the concept of that was about speaking to people who were using their influence for good reasons and I got to speak to a lot of people in the industry that were maybe working for charities or brands where they um, were supporting a particular cause and that I think is what really made me think that that was something that I would like to go into and that's when I moved into the charity sector and it's been a place that I've really loved working in and found it to be just a really nice feeling knowing that the goal that I'm working towards is like such an important one Mm, mm. I mean and having worked at a profiting brand as well has what's it like marketing for a charity compared to that is it different does it have a different approach people always ask me that and I think people expect it to be super different and at the end of the day you're still doing the same thing you're just doing it for a different cause my job is the same I'm still doing marketing I'm still having to think about the audiences we're going to how we are influencing people it's just that the end goal isn't money it is in this case, like driving systemic change. So actually the job is quite similar. Obviously there's different ways like organisations are run when they're profit driven versus charity. But in a lot of ways, I would say it's very similar. And, and you said as you were, uh, you know, you discovered that you wanted to work for charities after seeing the good that other people had done. Had it also come from the reverse as well, in the sense that had you seen the good that some brands were avoiding doing for example uh, campaigns of uh, brands that are promoting body image yet are still editing their photos that they're putting out on socials as an example did that also influence a decision to do the marketing for a charitable organization and to be doing it for good i think you know marketing is a really 
powerful industry. We have a lot of power and we need to remember that with that comes a responsibility. And especially if you're marketing to vulnerable groups, maybe if you're marketing to teenagers, younger children, people who are more easily influenced, I think you have to think about how you're doing it and who you are marketing to. And yeah, of course, there's a spectrum of examples. And, you know, you have like the really obvious examples of people selling, I don't know, diet pills that are you know, to impressionable uh, young people. And then you have ones that are less obvious that on the surface, maybe it looks like it is a product that is, you know, has ethical values. And then you read into it and find that actually some of it doesn't quite stack up. So, and I think it's important that a lot, you realize that a lot of uh, audiences see through that now, especially like the Gen Z generation. They absolutely know if you're just using something to further your own image. Yeah, consumers are getting wiser, aren't they? Absolutely. Well, let's get to know our attention seeker this week a little bit better um, by beginning uh, with what has been getting your attention recently. I think recent, recently probably the thing that has caught my attention would have to be uh chat gpt mm. yeah i feel like it just came from nowhere have you I, used it um so every time i try to use it it's like locked out because it's at full oh. capacity <laughs> i've heard you need to log on early in the morning when america's asleep to be able oh, to use yeah, it yeah that makes sense <laughs> but yeah i think a couple of months ago none of us had heard of it i think it just launched in november obviously it's the chatbot which seems to be like very accurate and that you can use for a, well the I think the possibilities are endless and I just think it's so interesting well from any angle but from a marketing angle because there's both huge opportunities and huge question marks and worries and concerns and you know the whole debate about is it going to kill creativity if you've got uh, a tool that can write on the surface as well as a person and I just think there's so much to explore there and it's fascinating that it's been offered for free and there's I think we're going to see a lot more to come. I think it's because it's scarily it's scarily got a lot of potential now whilst it is free and there is no real kind of goals for it just yet. So it's thinking, what's it going to be in a year's time, five years time? I mean, I think I had some fun with it and I was like, oh, can you write a rap that talks about performance marketing? <laughs> and it came up with it in three seconds. Wow. And it's just, I don't know if it terrifies me or I find it exciting. What would you say? I think it's a mixture of the two. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, maybe it's just one of those things that it'll take us a while to get used to. And we'll have all the debates right now about the ethics of it. And then in a few years time, it'll be old news. Yeah, well, I'm just hoping it doesn't take my job as a journalist. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll see. Let's move on to the meat of the podcast, which is all about your ratings. And I've asked you to bring something you think is overrated and something that you think is underrated in the industry. So let's start with what you think is overrated. So overrated, I would have to say, so any sort of kind of mass approach to B2B email marketing. Mm. And by that, I'm talking from the experience of being on the receiving end of many, many cold emails trying to pitch me like products, services, And I'm always so interested by the fact that it's such a generic approach and, you know, they all say the same thing and they often obviously haven't 
research like what company you work for or and I I I'm obviously not I don't work in sales so maybe it's easy for me to say maybe we could get someone who does work in sales who could Mm -hmm. tell me that I'm really wrong here (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like I could write an email that would get a much higher conversion rate than what I'm on the receiving end of really Um, yeah Yeah. so it's it's the kind of unpersonalized side of it is it that so I mean it will obviously be addressed to Helen and it'll mm-hmm. say it's great you work at Shelter but it's clearly done you know on mail merge yes, and yeah. I think if you're reaching out with a high value product or service so it'll often be like an agency trying to sell in my example it would be to work with Shelter and I think if you're going to pitch something high value I would really take the approach of doing less people and tailoring it and doing a bit of research on the person and what potential problems they might have and how you could help solve them. And I think that that would get more responses. It's a bit like if you're if you're selling a high value product, the messaging itself has to be high value as well in a way. You know, if you're expecting someone yeah. to invest in that, you've got to look like you've put in some kind of effort. Yeah. Otherwise you're not going to get them on board. Um, and, and then talking about, you know, with email marketing, some of Shelter's approaches... What kind of performance channels would you do you find work best for shelter? I think it's a really complicated question for shelter because we're split into so many different areas. So obviously there's a side of the organization that does fundraising. We have retail marketing. So that is uh, in-person shops and we have an online shop as well. Then we have campaigns marketing. So that's like campaigning for systemic change, trying to influence the government um, to you know, make changes that will result in less people having housing issues. Then we also have services. So that's trying to make sure the people that need our services can access it, um, marketing to them. So it does definitely depend on the discipline in which, in which you're talking about. Um, and it really depends on the individual campaign and who you're targeting. You know, the most recent campaign that uh, we worked on, which I think we're going to talk about today, we were targeting an audience that was quite like politically engaged. They were quite young and they were often like located in urban areas. So for them, we had a variety of things. We did partnerships with people like Vice, which was an audience where we knew they would be. Uh, we tested some new channels so things like reddit which we hadn't used before that worked really really well and um obviously we're in like usual places as well social etc um so yeah i think it really depends hearing you talk about it as well confirms your point at the beginning that marketing for a charity is not as different as people think because you're still using the same channels to get awareness or exactly get get to people um just for a different cause i guess yeah so, well, let's move on to hear what you think is underrated in the industry and should probably get some more attention than it currently does. So I think I'm going to say this just based on the fact that I have just been collating some results from a recent campaign and mm-hmm. something interesting that came up. Um, I would say employee advocacy as a marketing tool. And by that, I basically mean uh, having some sort of structured system where your employees are kind of 
I was going to say being used, not the word used, <laughs> but your employees are being used as influencers for your organization. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is in our most recent campaign, that was like not a strategy at all. It's not something that we planned to do. But a few people ended up uh, posting about the campaign, like on their LinkedIn's, etc. And I've had a look and gone back afterwards. And just an ex- as an example, like one of our designers posted about our campaign she got half a million impressions on her personal post. She's not someone that regularly uses LinkedIn. She's not like an influencer mm-hmm. or anything yeah. like that. But we had a lot of examples like that. And I just did a bit of quick maths and I worked out that to get the reach that we just got from our own employees, we would have had to spend many thousands of pounds wow. on ads. And I think that's really interesting. And it's something that isn't necessarily uh, really done in a structured way where you're encouraging employees to post. And I guess if you're going to take, you know, also, well, a perform because obviously that's an organic thing, but if you're thinking about from a performance angle, I know that LinkedIn are due to release uh, a new feature where you can boost employees' posts. So like an organisation could boost uh, an employee's post. So that's something that is interesting to think about for the future as well. I can't believe that we've you know saved that much money. That is incredible. It is. And <clears throat> does that differ? Would you say for kind of big corporations versus small ones? Do you think the same success can be gained from a smaller organisation? Should they not think, oh, you know, just because I only have ten employees, it's not for me? Employee advocacy. I absolutely believe a smaller organization can definitely benefit from it I mean I think about I've actually just spent the weekend with my friends who own a small business and it's run by two of them really one of them is the main person running (laughs) it and um, they went from nowhere to uh, a global business so it is just run by them but they've got sales all over the world and they spend a lot of time posting on LinkedIn and they get good reach. So it's not limited to really big companies. I would also say it's not just limited to charities. Yes, shelter, people might resonate with it more because it's a charity. But I think the thing that people resonated about in that post was it was someone that they knew or someone that was in their wider network that was really proud of a campaign that they'd worked on. And I think that's why people were interested as opposed to if Shelter had posted it, I don't, well, I know it wouldn't have got as much reach. And that's a really common thing that employees get much higher reach than the organisations themselves because they're more trusted. Yeah, absolutely. Consumers can see if it's a branded post. They know, they know it's an ad before they've even yeah. begun. Well, let's talk about how Shelter has resonated with its audience in its recent campaign which was about the cost of living hacks that the government were advising let's say do you want to talk us through that campaign for a bit yeah so this was a really really fun campaign to be involved in I think we did it in a relatively short space of time so I think we wrote from writing the brief to going live was maybe like three months and we came up with the idea in-house so we have an in-house creative team who um, are brilliant and we really realized that it was going to be a time where everyone all anyone was talking about was the cost of living crisis it's really hard to get any cut through at the same time it is something that is impacting a lot of people and their housing at a time when we've already for years they've 
been in a situation where housing is, uh, you know, there's a lot of problems with it already. So we wanted to really kind of cut through some of that noise and do something a bit different. So we came up with the idea of essentially taking the mick out of Mm. all the annoying things that people say to you when they're like, oh, you know, why don't you just drink less oat lattes or cancel your Netflix and then you'll be able to... Uh, Stop those avocados or whatever. Exactly. And then you'll be able to afford your house. And so it was really poking fun at that. And, you know, it was based on things that we might have seen in the news or by different politicians. And I think people liked it because it was a very simple message. It was funny, but also a bit cutting as Mm. well. It was quite bold for a charity, I think. I think. Yeah, I mean, it was noticeable everywhere. We saw it um, on social, but there were a lot of billboard campaigns as well. Yeah, yeah, we did. um, We had, uh, yeah, like you say, a lot of outdoor. And then we also, we had a mural, which was quite a nice way of doing something a bit different in Shoreditch. And then we were also online in... Uh, I think we talked about some of the channels earlier. And also another thing that we tried was we had beer mats in pubs with our campaign as well. Oh, nice. Which was nice. Uh, I think we really wanted to generate conversation with the campaign. And we knew that pubs is a place where you have conversation. (laughs) So, yeah. It's it's very much got the, uh, as in the campaign's very much got the feeling of someone saying, oh, don't don't worry, don't be anxious. And then you're like, oh, that's better. I'm fine now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and because before we started recording, you actually corrected me um, about what Shelter's called as a charity. Because um, it's not just a charity for the homeless. It's a housing charity, you said. So do you want to just uh, explain that a little bit? Yeah, so I think, you know, I'll be honest, before I joined Shelter, I probably just thought it was a charity that just helped people who were rough sleeping. That was probably my perception before I worked here. And we're actually about uh, a lot more than that. So we really, I think for us, rough sleeping is uh, obviously a huge problem, but it is the tip of a much wider, wider iceberg. And so we work with people who are experiencing all kinds of housing difficulties. A lot of it is about preventing homelessness and the things that we can do to make sure that people aren't, you know, evicted at no notice from their, maybe their rented flat or a lot of people are living in unsuitable temporary accommodation. And a a really big thing for shelter is that ultimately we think that we can end the homelessness by having more social housing. And we think that that is something that we really need to get people behind as well. So there's a lot of different areas of shelter. We have an emergency helpline that helps people who are uh, experiencing difficulties. We've got legal advice, lots of different things that you might not always expect. And then back to the the, the campaign, when you have a campaign like that, what what does good look like? At, at what point did you think this this has this has gone well? This has done exactly what we wanted it to do. Yeah, anymore? yeah. So it's a great question. I think early on, I think we did have a bit of a, you know when you just get a feeling that it is going to do you, well. Yeah. And we'd worked with Imagine Insights, who are a brilliant platform who provide insights from their Gen Z community about marketing campaigns. So they'd loved it and they'd had a really good response ahead of it going live so that had sort of given us a bit of a flavor of what the public reception would be 
we'd worked with our brilliant uh, media agency Yonder on a measurement framework and like, what we were aiming to achieve. But I think the moment I realised we were onto something is just when we went live and we saw the response and so many people on social media proactively posting about us. It just felt really good that, you know, housing was an issue that was on the agenda and people were understanding that the cost of living crisis doesn't just mean that your energy is going up. You know, a lot of people can't afford to pay their rents and that wasn't something that was in the conversation and we made it part of the conversation. So, yeah, I think that was when we realised that it had been really successful. And I think it's also because the messaging was just incredibly relatable to anyone having any kind of difficulties. It was like, oh, you can't just stick a plaster on it. Exactly. And I'm guessing then with all the, the success of that, of the campaign that then translate into conversions into donations and things like that is that the kind of end goal um so interestingly it wasn't the immediate end goal so actually the end goal really for that specific campaign it was around uh creating awareness of the issue and creating conversation into a particular audience that we know in the future we can prime to be really loyal supporters of shelter whether that's taking campaign actions or donating however even though it wasn't the primary aim we did see a halo effect on our donations and we saw compared to the year before in that same month like a really big increase in donations which was an added bonus but it wasn't the primary aim of the campaign We have now come to the final section of the podcast, which no one seems to look forward to apart from me, which is all about getting my attention. And that is called the Resell Me a Pen Challenge. And with this, you're going to have 60 seconds to sell an outdated object that we have chosen for you. And the object that you have is a Polaroid camera. I hope you're looking forward to this challenge. Do I get to see the timer or is it just I have to guess? With the fancy tech that is the iPhone, <laughs> yeah, I can show you the timer so you know exactly how long you have. But when you are ready, resell me a Polaroid camera. Sure. Okay, so I'm going to start by asking you a question, which would be, have you ever been in a situation where you should be enjoying an incredible experience and you look around and everyone is so obsessed with getting the perfect picture for Instagram that they're just taking photos and retaking them? Well, I've got a product which solves that issue because it's all about taking meaningful and intentional photos. So you have a limit on the amount of photos that you can take. You can only take as many as the a film that's going in there and at the end of it you get to keep a picture so you have instantly a real picture to look back and remember that memory so I think it's really special because it means that instead of having a hundred pictures on your camera roll that you're never going to look at you have a physical thing to really reflect on that happy memory that you had of that wonderful experience Ooh, and in time exactly you're the first person that's actually wanted to look at the time. <laughs> <laughs> You're like more intent on actually getting it in the 60 seconds. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you know, it's, I like doing these outdated objects because it just, everyone is, you know, despite working in a tech-heavy industry, people are like, say no to the tech. They retract from it, which is exactly what I guess a lot of us probably would like to do anyway. But have, but have you resold me? The Polaroid camera, because I reckon 
I reckon that's how you would sell the Polaroid camera. And so I don't know if it's resold in a kind of new way to a new audience at all. Do you think back, but back in the day, did they have Instagram or social media? Because I guess my pitch was yes, really yeah, going yeah. down the like digital detox angle that I don't think was something at the time the Polaroid camera came out. I don't think that was something that... No, I'm pretty sure Instagram wasn't about no. when it first came out. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, okay then. I mean, this might annoy our other listeners because I normally I don't allow after 60 seconds pictures to get in. But I understand your I understand your messaging. So congratulations, you have resold thank me. Thank you. The final <laughs> camera. Well, Alan, thank you so much for being this week's guest on Attention Seekers. I hope we have satisfied your attention seeking desires. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. No worries. Not at all. Thanks. If you want to find out more about the news from the performance marketing industry, look out for our news shorts where we get a behind-the-scenes look at the news of the week in less than 10 minutes. And subscribe on our website at performancemarketingworld.com. Well, thank you all for listening and for giving us your attention. I hope you will join me next time with our next attention-seeking guest. <laughs>